following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Got a question for you this morning. How is your level of faith? If your level of faith were like the gas tank in your car, what is your level of faith this morning? Are you riding on fumes? You got a full tank. What's your level of faith? Because faith, faith is like fuel in the life of a believer. Faith is like fuel in the life of a believer. Without faith, we're running on steam, we're running on fumes. We're not going to run this race victoriously. You're not going to get in on the things God has for you and maximize the opportunities God puts in front of you if you're not full on faith. And honestly... Our, our tank varies from time to time. There are times, are you like me sometimes, where you like fire it up and the faith is going good, but sometimes the, you feel like you're running a little bit on fumes, things aren't really going the way you thought. Maybe some prayers aren't getting answered the way you thought. And so I would suggest that our faith is like fuel in the life of, believer, of a believer. And some of us, we're going to look at this passage today in Romans, some of us God has given a large amount of faith to. God has given, the Bible says, he's allotted faith to us. Some of you, if it's like a car, I used to have this old Volkswagen Beetle. Anybody ever own one of those? Okay, back in the day. That thing, 10 bucks would fill it up. It had a little tiny tank. It didn't take much to keep that tank full. It was a little tank. But there's others here that have SUVs and it takes 100 bucks to fill it up, right? Some have small tanks, some have big tanks. Some tanks are full. Some tanks are low, but I believe God wants to challenge you this morning in the area of your faith to keep your faith filled, keep your tank full. Whatever amount of faith God has given you, whatever size tank he's given you, to keep it full. And even we're going to see at the end here, there are people who God has given them a level of faith and yet they said, increase mine, God, increase mine. Yeah, I have a, 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 a fuel tank that's the size of a Volkswagen, God, but would you make it the size of a semi? I used to be able to take 10 gallons, but can I take 100 gallons? There are people, even apostles, who said, God, increase my faith. I know you've given me this much, but I want an increased faith. I also want us to look at this passage this morning from another angle, an angle that's not often looked at, that when you and I have levels of faith, when you and I are walking out our faith, There's a major factor that a lot of folks disconnect, and it has to do with the kingdom of God and the way God designs his kingdom. That if you and I have faith just with God doing our own thing, that's good. But there's a whole nother dimension of how our faith responds to those around us. The way your faith and my faith responds to those around us has a big factor in the blessability of our lives. Paul is writing to the Roman church, they're believers. He's saying, guys, there's people around you in this room and in your life with different levels of faith. How do you react to them? Do you look down on people with low levels of faith, people that are just kind of, you know, skipping along and not really figuring this faith out very much? Or when people are taking a real narrow path, they're, they're, they're walking on this level of faith, do we critique that? Do we judge that? Do we, do we look at other people's faith as like ours is the right zone and theirs is not? Because that's what was happening in the church 
in the life that he's writing to the Romans. It's kind of like this. When, when people have a political view, most people believe their political view is the right one, and anybody to either side of them is either right or left, right? Isn't that how it works? They are right. Everyone else is either right or left of them, right? In the Roman church, it was the same way in the faith. People thought they were right about the faith, and everybody else was either to the right or to the left of where they ought to be. And Paul is saying, listen, if you want to really get in on the kingdom of God, if you want to understand how it works, if you want to understand blessability, real maturity, if you want to know what being strong in the faith really is, a big part of it is how we respond to those around us. So let's uh, take a look at this if we could. If you have your Bible, it's, we're in Romans chapter 14. And uh, Paul is addressing this. To set it up, Romans 12.3 says this, It tells us to have sound judgment and use it based on, listen to this, the measure of faith that God has allotted to each one of us. In other words, use your judgment properly based on the amount of faith that God has allotted. That's interesting because we don't always look at it like there are different levels of faith, different measures of faith. I know when I look, uh, and I love some of these biographies of these people that God used profoundly. Um, I think of Bill Bright, Campus Crusade for Christ. I think of uh, Cunningham from YWAM. And I think of the founders of Salvation Army and other amazing movements historically that God has done profound things. And I'm thinking, these guys didn't have a small tank. When it comes to their fuel, their faith, they didn't have a little tank. They had a big tank. And there were probably times where they were filled and other times where they were running on fumes, but these guys had big tanks. There have been men and women of God throughout history who've had these levels of faith, and there's apostles even saying, God, would you increase mine because I want that kind of level of faith. And I'm hoping, my prayer this morning, is that you begin to look at your faith a little deeper, a little bit more personal, and understand the level of faith God gave you and how full is your tank. And at the end, there's going to be a prayer opportunity. Maybe there's some things in your life right now that you're struggling with, matters of faith. Um, If you're like me, there's always things coming up that challenge your faith. That's the only way God can grow your faith, by the way, is when he stretches your faith. If your faith is not stretched, your faith will not grow. Let me say that again. If your faith is not stretched, your faith will not grow. Your faith cannot grow unless it's stretched. And unless we get our faith stretched, it won't grow. There are times in your life where your faith's getting stretched and like some of the people we're going to conclude with today, I want to be one of those that say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, I have faith, but can I have more of it? Because there is so much life, when you look at the abundant life that Jesus offers, that we're saved by grace through faith, through faith. Anything not done in faith is sin, the passage is going to tell us today. That faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of the unseen. Faith, hope, and love. We looked at this passage, the song earlier today. And everything else is going to go away, but faith, hope, and love. And so there's this dimension of faith. We begin our journey with faith. We continue in it through faith. We succeed and we overcome through faith. And faith is such an enormous part of your life and mine that Paul is trying to say that even in the church, even people that have different levels of faith, even if people are way stronger in the faith than others, what you do with your faith will determine true maturity. And so let's look at this, how he breaks it down. Romans chapter 
14, we're going to look at this in sections, talking about your level of faith, says, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one of us should be, con- should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. He's talking in this passage about some being stronger in the faith than others. Maybe you're brand new to the faith. Maybe you're just checking out the faith. And we're at one level of faith. Maybe you've been in the faith a long time. But maybe you had a greater level of faith at an earlier time in your life. Maybe you might feel like, well, I've been in the faith a long time. I'm pretty mature. I'm pretty strong in the faith. I got this down. Paul is saying here, this is what strong and weak in the faith is. Strong in faith and the weak is determined by how we look at those around us who are weaker in the faith. This is important. The Pharisees thought they had radical faith. And Jesus is like, you guys don't even get the faith. Because the Pharisees were constantly looking down on people who were weaker than them and judging and critiquing them. And Jesus never did that. When people were weak in the faith, Jesus came up to them and put his arm around them. Jesus went to people with no faith, little faith, hardly any faith, and he pursued them in love. That's what maturity does. That's what strong faith does. And the context in this passage right here, he's saying different levels of faith do different things. Back in this point in time, there was a big issue with the church, Jewish believers and Gentile believers. They all believed in Jesus. But the ones with the Jewish background were remaining kosher. They were very critical on what they ate and what they didn't eat. And the Gentiles were like, we don't really care about that so much. The Jewish people also celebrated certain feast days, and they were very religious on how they did it. The Gentile believers didn't care so much about that. And now you have a blended church, kind of like us. We come from all different backgrounds. And, you know, if we were to go around the room, some of you were raised in an atheist home, some of you were raised Catholic, some of you were raised you know, whatever, uh, Buddhist or whatever it might be. There's all kinds of backgrounds in this room. uh, And the reality is we all have a different understanding when we come to the faith of what it was like or what we think it should be like. As we grow in the Lord, as we explore his word, as we grow as a disciple, there's these different issues of faith that come up. Some of us are choosing to take a narrower path. Some are on a little wider path. 
what do we do with those who are on a wider path? Do we critique them? Do we look down on them? Do we judge them? Because that's what was happening. You know, if you ask people, and they've done surveys on people who don't go to church, people that are not plugged into any community of faith, what their biggest issues are with the church, many would say hypocrisy. Many people have the view that the problem with the church is hypocrisy. Their, their view is that believers somehow, somehow believers are going to look down on them because their level of faith is down here and it's weak, kind of like the Pharisees did. And that's really wrong. I mean, if we're going to represent Jesus, we don't look down on anybody. Yet this was happening in the church that he's writing to the Romans. And to be honest with you, it happens among us. Here's the way it happens among us. Somebody does something and they mess up. And someone's like, I can't believe they did that. Can you believe they did that? I can't believe they did that. And pretty soon, yeah, that was lame. I thought they were a believer. I'm surprised at them. Oh, my goodness. And all of a sudden, we're going off on someone who slipped and fell along the way. There's a sad statement that that I've heard. You might have heard it too. And let it never be said of us. Let it never be said of us. It's been said that the Christian army is the only army that shoots its wounded. Have you heard that term? That is not the heart of God, church. That is not the spirit of God. That is as far from the spirit of God. In fact, that is demonic. That is from the pit of hell. Anybody that would say we shoot our wounded, never, never. We're an army, an army of love. There's a revolution that God's doing in hearts. It began on the cross and it's been living out today by the power of the spirit in the lives of believers And in this war, in this spiritual battle that's going on, if one of our comrades, guy or gal, is out there, and maybe they shouldn't have got out of the foxhole. Maybe they were told to stay in the foxhole. And maybe they didn't listen. Maybe they got up and they said, I'm not listening, I'm going out there anyway. And guess what? They took a bullet. They took some shrapnel, spiritually speaking. Are we going to shoot our wounded? Are we going to look through the scope and get critical with them, focus in on them. This is what happens, church. This is what Paul's talking about. Paul's saying this is whacked. It is wrong. It is not blessable. Yet, as believers, we can focus in on them and go, yep, they're hemorrhaging, all right. (laughs) Shouldn't have got out of the foxhole. We told them. (laughs) It's only a matter of time. No, that's not what we do, church. What we do is we get out of the foxhole We crawl through live fire, live rounds. We grab our comrade, we put him over our shoulder, and we crawl back in that foxhole with him. Jesus said, the sick need a physician. How many of you guys know that? The reality is this. We we can't be a church, we can't be a people that shoots our wounded. We've got to be so careful. Please hear me. We've got to be so careful on how we talk about those who are weak in the faith, even among us. Because there's a time when you were weak in the faith. Maybe you are right now. We're not really so strong in the faith if we're talking about those who are weak in the faith. That's exactly what he's saying here. He's like, guys, if you want to understand the kingdom, how you view the weak in the faith is critical. He's like, how are you to judge another man's servant? In other words, he's saying this. If you're a boss and you have a job and you hire employees and you critique them and you, you, you review their performance and you decide to either let them go or promote them, You can do that. You're their boss. You hired them. But in the kingdom of God, it doesn't work that way. They're working for 
the Father. And he's saying, who are we to judge some other man's servant? In other words, they're not working for us. We don't have the autonomy to judge and critique them. Does that make sense? And yet we do. And yet we do. And Paul is saying, listen, there are things that some people are choosing to, rather than just the kosher thing, if, if you and I were to think of it in our terms, there are certain things that we choose to do and somebody around you doesn't choose to do that. There are certain things that you choose to abstain from and some other people don't choose to abstain from. Do we look down? Do we criticize? Do we judge? Because God's saying it's a family of believers. We're a community of the Holy Spirit. Through what Jesus did, we are a family of believers. We have one Lord, one Father, one Spirit, one baptism. This is the way the Word looks at the church, the body of Christ, the believers. And the Father looking down at his family, it's got to break his heart when some are pointing to the other and some point to the other and people are thinking they're mature, but really they're looking down and focusing and critiquing those who are stumbling their way along. Does that make sense? That's exactly what he's speaking to right here. Um, some have narrower paths. And what happens if you, if God is calling you, first of all, the Bible says what sin is and what sin's not. And we're all supposed to turn from our ways and walk with Jesus. So we're all on this journey. But on this journey with Jesus collectively, there are different levels of faith. And some people's faith is calling them to a narrower path than somebody next to them. And what happens, because it was happening here in this story, the ones who were walking in the narrower path, and part of that is not because they had to, but they felt the Lord was calling them to a more refined place, if you will, that they're walking a little closer to Jesus, a little narrower, they would be inclined to look at somebody walking a little loose over there and critique and judge them. By the same token, if somebody was walking a little further away from Jesus, walking with him, but not quite the narrow path as the other person, that person would tend to criticize or critique that person as though, well, maybe they're just religious or they're narrow-minded. You see, everyone views things based on where they are, to the right or to the left of where they are. And in the church right here, the ones who were walking narrow were critiquing the ones who were walking a little loose. The ones who were walking a little loose were critiquing the ones who were walking a little narrow. And this is what he's saying right here. He's like, the Holy Spirit is calling all of us to walk with Jesus. But there's different levels of faith. And we can't judge or critique or criticize the different levels of faith. He uses a couple of terms here. He's saying, he's writing this in the beginning. He says, I'm talking to you guys about disputable matters. Here's what's interesting. There are some people who don't think there are disputable matters in the church. There are some people that don't think there is any disputable matter. I would suggest to you, Paul is writing to the church and saying, there's some disputable matters. And I'm going to write to you about the disputable matters. They're not the absolute truths that God's calling everybody to. They are preferences of where God is calling people individually. They are preferences and choices of walking closer to the Lord or where you walk is out. That if God is calling you to this zone of walking in his presence in a certain way and other people are not quite getting it, that's for you and maybe not yet for them. Does that make sense? And if God is calling someone to this zone where they're seeking him and they're fasting and they're maybe whatever they're doing in their devotional life, it seems pretty wild and you're not in that place, they are not narrow-minded and religious. 
They are in pursuit of Jesus in a different way than you are. Does that make sense? That's good. Paul says there are disputable matters. And for us to think that there's not would be crazy. He's saying, I'm talking to you about the disputable matters and I'm talking to you about what each one considers. Each one considers. In other words, there are certain things that it's okay for one believer to consider it this way and the other one to consider it this way. Um, there are some that wish everything was so black and white and clear, and many things are. Many things are. The scripture is clear, and, and God's, there's absolute truth in there, but there are certain disputable matters that the Bible is saying each one considers them differently. And Paul's not saying, you guys are wrong, you guys are right, end of story. He's not saying that. He's saying there's disputable matters, and each one of you considers things differently Love each other in the middle of it. Get along with each other and don't critique and judge one another in the process. Uh, first point this morning, if you're a note taker, we're going to move through these, is the strong in the faith accept the weak in the faith. You cannot be strong in the faith by definition if you don't accept those who are weak in the faith. And what tends to happen in the life of a believer sometimes is you come to faith you begin to read the Bible, you begin to grow, you begin to discern things, you begin to walk on a narrower path and you're in love with God, you're following Jesus and God starts to call you to a level of devotion and a worship life that some folks around you maybe they don't have. If we forget not the quarry from which we were dug and the rock from which we were hewn, if we forget not where we're from, we always have a heart for those around us who are weak in the faith. But sometimes people forget where they're from. They forget what a wretch I am. I once was blind, but now I see. They forget that. And they start to move along in the faith and start to slowly but surely become like a Pharisee to where I got it down. I understand this. I can't believe they're doing that. Would you look at them, Martha? (laughs) Would you look at them over there, Martha? What's wrong with them? They are so weak in the faith. And this is how gradual it starts to happen. Rather than saying, let's pray for them and let's not critique them because they're not my servant and they're not your servant. They're the Lord's servant. Got to be careful with this. There's people on TV. There's some people on TV. I look at them and I'm thinking, I don't know what they're doing with their opportunity. I don't think they're preaching the gospel the way I think it ought to be preached. Some people could be out there doing what I think is more, you know, I don't know, compromised. But the Lord's telling me with that and he's told me, time out. Son, soldier, servant, they're not your servant, they're mine. And don't critique them. He's going to stand before me, she's going to stand before me. I will use them the way I use them. You don't worry about that. You look this way. Does that make sense? And that can happen around us in ministries. It can happen throughout the kingdom of God. This is a critical reality. The strong in the faith, accept the weak in the faith. If we don't accept the weak in the faith, we're totally missing the heart of Jesus, because it's exactly what he did, no matter where, even if they had no faith, he would drop a knee, he would take a knee, boom, and say, hey, I love you, you know, I mean, that's, that's a critical thing, when we start to elevate ourselves, because our faith is stronger, or we're mature, or we get it more, or we understand things of the spirit more, and therefore, we are missing a huge component of the kingdom of God, moves on in verse 13, he says this, instead, instead, Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. For if anyone regards something as unclean, 
then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy the brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Okay, let's break it down this way for us. We're not living in this kosher world that they were. They had different feast days and different foods to eat. They didn't eat shellfish, no lobster, no, uh, no anything like that. They didn't have uh, cheeseburgers because you wouldn't mix the meat and the cheese. They wouldn't have a milkshake with their burger. Uh-uh, they, it doesn't, they don't roll like that. And so those things might stumble you or you might stumble them. But in our modern context of what this is about, there are things, he's talking about stumbling people. Again, here's maturity, here's big faith. You want to talk about strong faith? Strong faith is considerate about what stumbles others. Some people think their faith is strong because them and God have something going on. And me and God got to go. We're strong. And Paul's saying, hold on. No, strong faith, strong faith is a faith that actually cares about those around them enough to the point where you don't want anyone to stumble. Now, a lot of people in this individualistic society we're in, we're so narcissistic, most people would think, hey, if they have a problem with that, that's their problem. That's the way we tend to think in cities and you know, the pace of the world that's going on today. It's like, hey, they, they need to figure it out. That's their problem. Paul's saying, no, if it's their problem, let it be your problem. Paul's saying, if they have a hard time with it, would you be mindful of that? Would you be loving and considerate enough to be mindful about those around you and what they struggle with? And he's talking about what we eat, which again, the kosher thing doesn't apply so much. But how about this? How about what we drink? There are some that drink and some that choose to abstain from drinking. The Bible doesn't say in the New Testament that you have to abstain from drinking. The Bible doesn't say that. Talking about drinking, the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, which means pollution, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Bible's not saying don't drink, but it is saying don't get polluted. Because that's what happens when people start knocking a few back. What limit, what level? Can't put a number on that, but the reality is when people start to knock them back, they start to get polluted, the Bible says, dissipated, watered down. And instead of being filled with the Spirit, where they're sensitive to things and they, they're in the Spirit, they're actually in their flesh and they're watered down and polluted. So the Bible's not saying don't drink, but here's the deal. Statistically, in a room like this, there's probably 15, 20% of the people in this room that just can't drink. It's really bad for their health. It's really bad for their future. Alcohol has wrecked them in the past and will in the future because it's got a different, it's got a different grip. It's got a different effect. It's got a different, whether you call it DNA, whether you call it spiritual warfare, whether you call it, there's a lot of ways that people have tried to quantify why alcohol affects others and not others the same way. There's many that have taken a shot at it, but I would suggest this to you. It does affect others different than it does others. Because of that, that's a clear snapshot of being mindful. 
Bible's not saying you can't drink. But you know if you have a problem with drinking, you know you can't drink. However, when believers get together sometimes, they don't even care who's in the room or what anyone's background is. There's the wine bar. Help yourself, knock yourself out. Rather than, is, every, is everybody okay here? Is there a problem with anybody in this area? Because if there is, let's be mindful, let's not stumble. And so it's taking the high road. That's what maturity does. Maturity takes the high road. Again, the Bible's not saying you can't drink. You don't have to be phobic or flipped out about this, but we have to be mindful about those around us because we love them enough not to stumble them. And the Bible's saying, don't put a stumbling block. It's like someone's running a race and you stick your foot out. Boom, they hit it. That's what it's like when we go, I don't care, it's their problem. We, we might not intend to do that, but the strong in the faith have to be mindful that way. So um, that's an important one. That's our second point this morning is the strong in the faith remove stumbling blocks. You've got to identify stumbling blocks and remove them. And everything doesn't stumble everybody, but there are certain things that will stumble people. There are certain things. You've just got to be mindful and prayerful. Here's what it's telling us in verse 20. This is a radical verse, guys, and this really speaks to me. It says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of anything. Don't destroy the work of God. And we're thinking... What? I have the right to do this. I have freedom in Christ. I've got liberty. I can do whatever I want. Uh, yeah, that's what the low level of faith says. That's what the weak faith says. But the strong in the faith say, I don't want to be stumbling people. Yeah, I have liberty. <laughs> I have liberty. You know, where the spirit is, there's liberty. There's freedom. I have liberty, but I don't want to mess somebody up. So I'm going to be mindful. Does that make sense? That's what mature faith does. That's what strong faith does. Um, I love, he says, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The mature, the strong faith has a life in the Holy Spirit. That's the zone, walking in the Spirit. That's what strong faith does. And verse 19, this one knocks it out of the park to me, because this one, this to me is is an identifying quality of somebody who truly has strong faith. Not how much scripture they've memorized, not how old they are and how long they've been in the faith. This one is enormous because this is right at the heart of God, right here. He says that in verse 19, he says, make every effort, every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Wow. Is peace and mutual edification that big of a deal or is it a low deal? He's like, no, it's a huge deal. Make every effort, every effort we can that leads to peace and mutual edification. In other words, there's going to be disputable matters and there's going to be different opinions. But if you are willing to take the high road and you're going to say and ask yourself the question, what I want to do right now with my liberty, because I have the liberty to do it, there's no rule against this and I'm allowed to do it and I have the freedom to do it and and maybe I will do it and maybe I won't, but I'm going to ask this question first. Is it best for me or is it best for the bride? Is this the best thing for me right now? Maybe I feel like it is. But that's, that's one level of faith. That's weak faith. Let me go to the high level. Is this best for the bride? Oh, is it best for the bride? Well, <laughs> now that you ask that question, um, maybe not. That's, that's doing things that lead to peace and mutual edification. That is a huge one. That's our third point this morning is the strong in the faith focus, focus on mutual edification. You care enough about the faith of others that you not only accept the weak in the faith, you, you not only focus on 
not letting them trip and stumble along the way, but you, you actually focus on what mutually will build up. And that's what mutual edification means. I, it's a really radical word, but it means what will not just build me up. I can't live my faith out on what will build me up. That's, that's only part of the faith, but what's going to build up everyone mutually? That's big right there. And this term comes up, mutual edification, a lot. And you can't understand the kingdom of God until you understand mutual edification because Paul says that's the reason God even gave the gifts out. All the gifts that God has given, natural abilities, spiritual gifts, everything God's given out, why did he give them out? Mutual edification. This isn't the first time this is coming up. This is a theme, consistent theme throughout New Testament, uh, the New Testament church, and it applies to us today. And if you and I will start to understand this mutual edification thing, and that it means a lot to God, that whatever he gave us with a gift or a talent or a resource or a spiritual gift, that the, fish, the, the focus is for the mutual edification. If I'm thinking, how can I help you along? And you're thinking, how can I help that person along? And we're thinking that way. That is a family of God that the Father smiles on. That's a family of believers that the Lord says, I can do radical things by the power of my Holy Spirit with a community of believers who are focused on mutual edification. It's huge. But what has happened to churches over time, and this is a statistic, they started out that way. But after a while, they weren't so concerned about the weak in the faith anymore. They weren't too concerned about stumbling people. They weren't too concerned about mutual edification. And a church that stops being outward focused starts to become inward focused. And inward-focused communities end up devouring themselves. They end up critiquing one another. They end up being judgmental and looking at others. If this is something that comes up, and this is an area that the the devil is really great at at trying to um, get you to believe things about the one and another's in the Bible. He's been historic this way. I want a a little um, additional reading for you is the screw tape letters. I mentioned this before, but I want to mention it again. Screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. There's a modern English version. It's so easy to read. This I don't know, maybe 30 pages, but it's a little booklet. Get the modern English version, and it talks about exactly how the devil tries to get believers to turn around and stop looking at the Lord and others, but start looking at those among us and stare at them long enough and come to judgments and conclusions. It's a pretty brilliantly stated uh, book on how that happens. But if we will focus on mutual edification... If we will focus on what builds up the family of believers with our gifts, with our attitudes, watch out. This is where revival begins, guys. And then he goes on in uh, verse 22, and this is what he says. He goes, so, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because he is eating. his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. This is what he's saying here in summary. God has already spoken to you about some things. God has shown you some things. The Bible is very clear on some things. On other areas, there's, there's disputable matters. Disputable matters. What movies you watch, what you do, what you don't do, what you abstain from, what you partake in, even in the church, even among believers who love Jesus, and are, there are disputable matters. There are preferences and differences in areas we're working in. He's saying this. If God has already shown you or spoke to you in an area, that's between you and him. Don't put that on other people. Does that make sense? 
what he's shown you with your path and your walk, don't throw that on others. Don't make them conform to your image. We're all trying to conform to the image of Christ. That's, that's, that's big because that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They went beyond what is written. They started adding things and they were expecting others to do the thing. And Jesus said, woe to the yeast of the Pharisees. They are adding stuff to God's cake and God didn't put it in there and woe to them. We can do that without even being intentional about it, guys. We can start thinking, well, God showed me and God showed, and we're, we can project that on people. He's saying, if God showed you, you be obedient with what God showed you. Keep it between you and the Lord. Don't throw that on other people. If God's asking you to fast about something, great. Don't tell everyone they got to fast. God didn't tell everyone to fast. He told you to fast. And if he told you, you be obedient to what he told you. If God told you certain things are outside of the walk I have for you, these kind of movies you don't watch, they're not good for you, don't tell everybody else that because maybe they're just not there yet. They're weak in the faith. Does that make sense? And, and this, is, this is what he's saying. If God told you to do it, be true to it. And we have to understand some people on this journey are not where we are and we're not where others are. But we're all in mad pursuit of Jesus, the resurrected one. And so um, moves on in verse 1. I'm going to finish this section. In fact, this would be great if the worship team would come up. Um, because he's keeping with the theme here. Chapter 15, he says this. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good and build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but it is written, but as it is written, the insult of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify God the Father and, may, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. He's basically saying when someone around you stumbles, because people will, we don't judge them. When we slip or stumble, we don't want people to judge us. We don't excuse it, but we encourage them to get back in the race. And he's saying a term here that's important. He says, we bear with one another. We bear with one another. Bearing with one another means come alongside somebody who's got a struggle and actually let them throw your arm around and, and bear with one. Would you help them with their burden? Not judge, not critique, but to bear with one another. This is what a family does. If you're in a family and you have people in your family that are going through something, we don't want to judge or critique them. We want to come alongside and love them and bear with them. That's what mature faith does. If we were the ones that were going through a hard time, and maybe some of you are today, and your faith is running a little bit on fumes, you want others to bear with you too. You want them to come alongside you and stand with you. And, and I do when I'm in seasons of my life where I'm running on fumes. I want others to stand with me and bear with me. I don't want to be like, you know, people thinking, what's wrong with your faith? <laughs> and moving on, I wanted to say, yeah, I can tell you're struggling in your faith. Let me remind you, as it says, through the encouragement of scriptures, let me just tell you a promise of God that he has for you. And when you share with others and you give them a word in season, it's an amazing encouragement for those who are running a little lean in their faith. Uh, the fourth point is exactly that, that the strong in the faith bear with those who slip and fall, the ones who get weak in the faith. The strong in the faith, we bear with those 
who slip along the way and fall. We bear. We don't judge. We don't critique. We don't talk about them. Jesus says when we talk about them, Jesus said that that criticism, it says in the passage, read it again later, he goes, it falls on my ears. Really? Our critique of that person falls on Jesus' ears? Isn't that interesting? So whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. Jesus is like, yeah, it falls on my ears. We don't think of it that way, but if we're going to be strong in the faith, I think we need to start thinking of it this way. And as we wrap in prayer, I want to encourage some of you to come forward and, and there's areas in your life that you're pursuing God and you're, you're walking out your faith, but you're running a little lean. I know I do, and we need prayer. God honors prayer. Peter was walking with Jesus. He's an apostle. So Peter's got big faith. He's the kind of guy who gets out of the boat when everyone else is scared to death. He's the kind of guy who stands on water and walks on water and is the only other person, aside from Jesus the Christ, who can ever tell a story about what it would have been like walking on water. Yet, with that huge faith that he had, there was times where he was floundering in his faith. And if it can happen to him, it can happen to me. And Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned, go strengthen your brothers. Even somebody like Peter, who's a straight-up apostle, gets weak in his faith. And Jesus says, I am going to pray for your faith, Peter. Your faith is running lean. You're running on fumes. And if your faith doesn't get fired up, you're going to stumble, Peter. I am going to pray for you that your faith comes back. Isn't that interesting? In Mark 9.24, there's a father, and I love this story because I relate to it. It's close to home for me. A father who's crying out to God for his son. And he's saying, God, would you please do something for my son? And Jesus comes up and says, do you, what is it you want? Do you believe I can do it? Do you believe I can do it? And the father says, yeah, I believe, but can you help me with my unbelief? And I love the brutal honesty. I believe, Jesus, you can do anything, but this has been like this a long time. I believe, but can you help me with my unbelief? And there's a father crying out saying, Jesus, I believe, but can you help me in this faith area? I mean, I have faith, but I don't know how much faith I have. Can you help me? Jesus honors that prayer and helps him with his unbelief. In Luke 17, 5, even the apostles all say, Jesus, increase our faith. I know you've given us a measure of faith, but our tank's not full. Our tank is running low. Will you increase our tank? In fact, will you even give me a bigger tank? I don't want a Volkswagen-sized tank of faith anymore. I want a semi-truck-sized tank. Does anybody want a semi-truck-sized that kind of tank? That kind of tank of faith will run for a long time. I don't know about you guys, but I want that kind of faith. I don't know where God's calling you to increase your faith this morning. But I trust everyone in the room, there's an area he's calling you to increase your faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of the unseen. And I don't know what promises in scripture or personal revelation that God's given you or shown you that you're supposed to walk in, but it's not looking so great right now. It's not looking in the natural so great. I don't know what that is, but you do. And whether it's with your finances or your family or someone that you're crying out to God to come to faith or a personal struggle you have or overcoming an obstacle in your own life, whatever it is, God has long honored prayers of God, would you increase my faith? And as we close this morning, I want to encourage you to come up to our prayer team and say, here's an area I want increased faith. 
and let God stretch you and increase you in new areas. Because the reality is, guys, lightweight faith is not going to get it done. Lightweight faith is not going to get it done. Not in the times that we're about to embark on. We're about to embark in times that are unprecedented historically. The times we're about to enter in are times where the people of God need to live by the Word of God, the Spirit of God, for the glory of God in a whole new way. Lukewarm faith ain't going to get it done. If you want to get in with God, if you want to walk with the Spirit and the things He wants to do, faith as usual ain't going to cut it. If you're like me, I'm saying, God, I want to walk in another level of faith because I want you to use me in profound ways. I want you to stretch my faith and grow my faith and use me as an instrument. Is anybody else in that camp this morning where you're saying, God, I want to get in? God will honor that and he will use. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for hearts that are completely his so he can strongly support them. God has never changed in his model of pursuing the ones who love him and the ones who have faith. He's never changed that way. And this morning, he's asking the same question. And so I'm going to close in prayer. I I just want to, if we can bow our heads for a second here and just ask God to seal some things in our heart. Mighty God, I just praise you for this passage about strong faith. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.